With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. It's that time. We have the people. This is Eric from Moana. This is Priscilla Lima. This is Gary Patterson. The story in real time. We're a much better team than we were then. I'm not looking at just this year. I'm looking at the next four years. You're listening to The Net Line with Barney. You didn't win, so you must not have done a good job. And DJ Ruscha. I have great thighs. It's The Net Live right now. <laughs> Oh, we're unmuted? Yep. Oh. Welcome to the Net Live, ladies and gentlemen. Monday morning, the 12th of August, Kevin Barnett sitting in the home court along with DJ Jeremy Ruscha. Programming note right off the top, no show next week. It is a week off. Enjoy your summer. Be a part of something. Go out on a Monday. Skip work. Be outside. Don't sit in front of your computer. Don't listen to us. Go down to the beach. Get some sets. That's right. Go down and play some sets, and you will have a good time. We hope that you are having a great summer, as for many, it is starting to come to a close. School starting soon. Jeremy, practice already started for Division One women. Let's just, Underway. Let's just get something straight right off the top. The fact that I am not in school anymore, yes. I do not have children where I don't have to base my life around their vacation days from school, Yes. I don't care. School means nothing. I don't care. To Jeremy. The fact that I'm seeing back-to-school commercials on TV is freaking me out because people are trying to tell me summer's over. Summer is not over yet until I am done DJing volleyball events. Okay? Well, I'm sorry. That'll be Christmas. That's fine. This year. Then that summer's going through Christmas. Just deal with it. <laughs> deal with it, everybody. I mean, the last uh, AVP event actually happens the second week in December, isn't it? <laughs> as long as it's not snowing, that's fine. Oh, well, that's uh, happened already before at Lake Tahoe, so why not? Yes, it did. Yes, it did. <laughs> Were you Devin. there DJing that one? How was that in the snow? Uh, let's put this. The first day, it was Thursday, the day that it snowed. It okay. was so cold. I sent. How cold was yeah, it? Exactly. I sent uh, somebody up to my hotel room. They grabbed the comforter off of my bed, Okay. brought it back down, and Geeter and I wrapped ourselves in it together, and we're snuggling on stage. That's how cold it was. You know that's before that was illegal here in California. Correct. Yes. <laughs> that's how cold it was. I didn't care what Gator and I looked like snuggled underneath my comforter from my hotel room. What year was that? Was that nine or eight? I don't know. It was so cold that it froze my yeah. memory. I drank a lot of hot chocolate that weekend. Let's throw that out there. Yeah, I can't remember what year that was. I remember seeing all the pictures. That was a fun one. People were wearing sand socks and not because it was too hot. Even guys, even guys who would refuse to wear sand socks when the sand temperature is 5,000 degrees. Yeah, right, right. Some of them were wearing sand socks. I mean, it was it was legitimately snowing, not just a few flurries, sticking to the ground, legitimately snowing. Have you ever walked out in the sand in bare feet when it's, say, below 65 degrees? It's chilly. It is cold. Yeah. It's like being in really yep. thick 
cold water. And that's just in the 60s. Oof. Yeah. I can't imagine the 30s when it's actually snowing. What month was that? It was September. It was early September, too. It wasn't yeah, but like, you can get that weather in the Oh, month. for sure. Absolutely. Um, I think it was like the, maybe the second week in September that year. Beautiful location. Awesome. Sure. It just snowed the first day. Tahoe's remarkable. Snowed. And we have a remarkable show planned for you today. Riley Salmon. You heard his name mentioned last week in the NVL interview we did with Albert Hanneman. And you heard about his recent issues with drug testing. Riley contacted us, and he will be on the show today. Yes, he will. He will clarify, or I guess give some more context or to his situation. Reconfirm what we already said. That may happen as well. We will also have another guest, I believe. Somebody who's involved with, say, the Cincinnati Cincinnati ABP? Open, yes. Uh, Brian Polark, who's been involved with the Cincinnati Open for a while. He also... If you went to an AVP event last year in Cincinnati and or Santa Barbara, you heard his vocal stylings on the microphone. Oh, so he's getting paid two ways. Yeah, got to do what you got to do. That's very nice. Yeah, Brian Polark will be here on the show. He's a guy who has been involved with uh, Cincinnati Sports Leagues. He's also involved with Hahana Beach there, which yep. has hosted previously, but I understand they're changing locations this year. Well, when we first started going to Cincinnati, we were at the Linder Family Tennis Center. I believe that's how you pronounce it. And... Then after the AVP went under, I believe they went to the Hannah Beach. Hahana Beach. Hahana Beach, which is a nice venue. It's uh, it's kind of, from what I understand, the photos I've seen, it's like um, they built a sand, few sand courts there, and there's like a bar, restaurant right next to it, so you can basically be having some drinks, eating while like people are siding out right in front of you. I'm imagining it's something like the sand pits in Colorado Springs or on a bigger scale, Todd Goronsky's set up there in Milwaukee, Bradford Beach. Yeah, yeah probably something along those lines for sure. And then they have, you know, they have rec league and stuff like that during the week and throughout the year. And yeah. pretty, pretty cool location. I've seen photos. Yeah, you have to. This isn't the NFL. You can't set up your stadium and just have it run with the NFL teams. Correct. <laughs> You're going to have to have a little bit more going on. Speaking of other things going on around the world of volleyball, beach volleyball in Berlin this past week. I had just the second medal for the women. For the women. And let's congratulate Jennifer Fatma and Brooke Sweat. Third. Of bronze getting a bronze. Medal. Their best finish ever. Prior to that, I think it was a fifth was their best finish. They uh good for them. I saw photos of their celebration after they won. Like it's been, you know, they've had uh they put in the effort. They put in the work. They've paid their dues. So congratulations to them. They lost to Holtwick and Semler. In the semifinals, mm-hmm. and then came back and defeated a Czech pair in the third place match. And I believe it went three. I didn't look. I did look. I don't remember off the top of my head, but I believe it went three. And obviously, they came out victorious. Very happy for them. Two great people. I like them both a lot. Pleased. I'm, I'm finding it hard to believe that it's only two medals. The other one coming earlier this year in Moscow with Ross and Kessie for USA Women. Only the second medal. Not even gold. There is no gold. Just medal. Yeah, it Bruce. did go 54 minutes. It was 21-18, 17-21, 15-12. yeah. Um, and good for them. Their first time being in a medal match to pull through that. Yeah, very cool. First time being in a medal match internationally. And they lost in three. Worth noting that, that lost to Holtwick and Semler, who eventually lost to Talita and Lima in the finals. They lost in three in that one. They won 21-17, 16-21, and then 15-10. Yeah. 
So, and I'm sorry, it's 21-17 win for... They have this listed backwards. I, I don't understand. Is that the those. FIVB website, Kevin? No, this is USAC no. I'm looking on. Did yeah, I tried the, the FIVB website, website this morning. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. It says that they fell to the number one seeded team, but then they list it as though uh, Holtwick and Semler are the team that they're listing first. So I just... Were they the number one? I don't, I don't think... like that. Because it says in the semifinals, Faltman Sweat fell to Germany's number one seed, Katrin Holtwick and Ilka. I think it's Ilka. Similar. Sure. In three sets. 21-17, 16-21, 15-10. I would think it would be the other way around. Wouldn't you list the scores the other direction? You'd be 17-21, 21-16, 10-15? I don't know. Either way. I could see it either way, honestly. BJ's putting that up there. She's now unfriending you from Facebook and Twitter. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Now, now producing the show any longer. Yeah. Congratulations. Fatman Sweat. Fantastic finish. They were the number 16 seed coming into that event and finished third. So, undoubtedly, their seed will be rising. And, by the way, Brazil's dominating. They are doing a pretty good job. Yeah. Although, on the men's side, a very strange weekend. Gib Patterson, Phil Rosie, ninth. Allison and Emmanuel, ninth. And then Meyer Keenan, 17th. You ask yourself, where's the professor and the avatar? Well, they were 25th. If Vegas took bets on the men's side in Berlin, they oh. would have, everybody would have lost money. Everybody. Everything. Everybody who's betting, everybody in Vegas. Because the teams that won, nobody's heard of before. No, it was, there's a Russian team in the final, which I, I can't remember the last time I saw a Russian beach volleyball team doing well. Are they good? Well, apparently. Apparently, they're good in they're good, good in Berlin. <laughs> How about that? Yeah, I I found it remarkable. A, a Russian side. Hey, and usually when like the lower seeds make it all the way to the finals and stuff like like not just one lower seed, like everybody who was in the semifinals was a fairly lower seed. Like I started thinking about like what's what was the weather like in Berlin and all this stuff, but those weren't really factors. This was a Grand Slam event. Yep. It's a big one. It's the 14th men's and the 8th women's event. That's always strange to me about the FIVB, that they have that division of labor. How sometimes they haven't played the same amount of events yet? Yeah, and for instance, I'll be doing Moscow here for Universal Sports coming up, but the women were already in Moscow. Yeah. So it's kind of funny. You think, well, the tournament already happened. No, they split it up and they bring them in separately. So you had a Brazilian pair win over a Russian pair there in the finals, and then you had a Spain Spanish pair defeat an Italian pair in the third-place match. So here's the rundown. Brazil, Russia, Spain, Italy, Germany, Netherlands, Poland, Poland, Brazil, Brazil, Germany, Italy, Latvia, Poland. What's missing from that equation? I didn't hear a U, I didn't hear an S, and I didn't hear an A. No, no U, S, and A until you hit the end of that ninth-place list. That's Gib Patterson, Rosenthal, Dalhauser. You know, well, then you have to go a long, long ways further. I wonder, and we brought this up a little bit before the show, like, was there a little bit of a hangover from the Long Beach event that everybody was kind of excited about? They played on U.S. soil, flew to Germany, knew that they were all coming back right away for the Salt Lake AVP event this coming weekend. You know, like, does some of that factor in subconsciously, maybe? I don't even know how much subconsciously as just wear and tear on your body that you're traveling all the way to Europe. You have to adjust a couple couple of days. And the men started earlier, too, by the way. The men were a day before the women this event. Which would make a difference on yep. your travel schedule. Especially when you're used to it 
another way. Yeah, these, but these guys are used to doing it. I mean, they're professionals. So I, oh, I, for sure. I sort of see that that aspect of it, the travel aspect of it. But on the other hand, it's what you do. And yeah, it's hard. But on the indoor side, same thing. We would play two days after we arrived in Europe. Yep. Good for them that they're coming back and have an opportunity to play on U.S. soil. For sure. For the next few weeks, by the way. Unless they signed an agreement with another tour. <laughs> and there might have been a couple of issues this week. There was some volleyball news over the weekend besides Beach oh, and besides gosh. Germany. Not really besides Beach, just besides oh, yeah, besides the FIVB event. Yeah, how about... Uh, what happened? Are, are we calling this round two, AVP, NVL round two, or round one, <sighs> or round seven? I'm sure it's not round two. I'm sure... Well, it depends on who you ask. <laughs> depends on who you ask. One side might say we've been fighting this battle a long time. Another side may say, what are we fighting? So let's try and state this in as clear terms as we can, okay. given the information that's out there. Yep. Both of these organizations, and we had Albert Hanneman on here last week talking about the contracts, the player contracts for these leagues. First of all, I don't know why you need a player contract. Me. They're independent contractors. They don't work for you. They can show up and play in your tournament. True, but if you are a tour and you are, let's say, trying to sell your tour to TV and to sponsors, and the sponsors are like, what players do you have? And you're like, oh, we have X, Y, and Z. And then they show up to your event, and X, Y, and Z aren't there because they're playing in another tournament. That would be a little bit difficult to sell. Understood. Understood. Then you need to get commitments for them to play in particular events. Correct. Contracts for that particular event. That would seem to me. And I'm just throwing that out there. The more difficult solution. The easy one is to have them sign off on an agreement, and you're going to play in these events. Yep. Each of these leagues has, or each of these tours has a player agreement that they expect the players to sign in order to participate on their tour. Mm -hmm. Albert and the NVL have a contract Mm -hmm. that states that players will make every reasonable commercial decision to play in an NVL event, which I think means that they will choose to play in the NVL if it works for them. Okay. I think, because it sort of leaves the door open, commercially viable. Well, if I can make more money somewhere else, I'll probably play somewhere else. That would be more commercially viable. Mm -hmm. It also states that players who sign an exclusive contract with another organization that would prevent their participation in the NVL, they will not be eligible. Or, or, Or basically says they may not sign. If you sign this agreement with the NVL, you may not sign an exclusive agreement with another organization. Not necessarily saying you can't play with that other organization. You just can't sign their agreement. Correct. Yep. You may not sign their agreement. And if you do, I guess you're in violation of the NVL agreement. I'm not sure what the repercussions of that are. Well. But the AVP decided that they thought the repercussions of players signing the NVL agreement and then participating in their AVP event, which overlaps with an NVL event, Mm -hmm. was that the NVL could perhaps sue the AVP. Correct. So the AVP notified players that had signed the NVL contract. This includes uh, Summer Ross. And players who had already registered for their events, for the AVP events. Correct. I saw some chatter on Facebook from some of the mid-level to up-and-comer players that are out there. Mm -hmm. They were told they could not play in the AVP event. Due to the fact that they were concerned that if they allowed them to play... The AVP was concerned. The AVP would open themselves up to a lawsuit from the NBL. Correct. Yep. Correct. And this provoked a lot 
What? Whatever of do you, internet activity. Whatever do you mean, Kevin? <laughs> I don't know what you're referring to. This provoked a lot of internet activity and actually got, at this point, 22 viewers into the Bali Talk, no. which is a lot for the beach area. By the way, whenever you go to the beach area, it's 22 viewers in beach. You forwarded me something from Volley Talk, and I'm not even sure I looked at it. 25 viewers in the men's forum and yep. 200 viewers in the women's forum. So that'll tell you where where things are. Okay. Provoked a lot of uh, a lot of ink, although at this point <laughs> cyber ink, oh, to go on with people guessing and saying, I'm not a lawyer, nor have I seen the player agreement, but here is what I think. <laughs> and correct, let me point out too. I love that, by the way. Let me full disclosure here. I've known Albert a long time. I'm also the DJ for the AVP again this season. Yes. And I have not seen either contract myself. Just going to let everybody know that. I haven't seen – I've heard what it says, but I have not seen it with my own eyes. I've seen quotes from it. Correct. Via the NVL. Yes. I've seen another letter from the NVL that you sent me that just came out as the NVL – now has made it quite clear that they wish for their players to have the opportunity to play on the AVP. And it states in no equivocal, it states in unequivocal terms, we are hereby releasing all players from Section 2 of the NVL participation agreement so that Donald will let you play in the Salt Lake event. I love that it's Donald directly now, not the AVP. Yeah, Don, now Donald. Donald. Son. Yep. We are. This is the NVL writing this, by the way. We are only doing this for the players. The intent behind this was to preserve players' rights, and we hope you all understand that this is a difficult situation. But once again, we want what is best for the players. The last thing we ever wanted to do was to have players in the middle of this. We strongly believe that it is and should always be your right to play wherever you choose. Let me throw something else out there. It's too late to sign up to Salt Lake City. What if you already signed up, you got booted, can you get back in? I don't know. It's a weird deal. Because that information from the NVL releasing the players came out, I think, last night. Um, which I think more had to do with the Manhattan Beach Open. I believe you can still register for that through this evening, possibly, if I'm correct. Okay. Um, but still, then... I mean, the AVP is technically a business. They can let who they want to play or not want to play. But I still understand that if you do play with the AVP, that they they expect you to sign their agreement. They do. The question will be for the AVP, do they still feel as though there's any sort of conflict? Well, my confusion on that, too, is this. How every contract I've ever signed in my life states in there, by me signing this, I'm stating that I have no other conflicts that would interfere with this contract I'm currently signing. Okay. So if a player signs the NVL contract and then signs the AVP contract, both of those contracts, I would assume, say that almost same exact thing. So how could the NVL, and this would obviously be a lawyer question, sue the AVP if they're letting those players play? Wouldn't they have to sue the players? Does that make sense? For signing the contract. For signing the contract. Because the AVP – Interesting point. Because in the AVP or whatever – if it's me, if I'm Jeremy, you're DJing for us, and I sign something, I'm DJing for you, but they're on the same exact day. Right. Those two companies can't sue each other. They would sue me because I'm breaching the contract. Does that make sense? You're the one who breached the initial contract by signing the second contract. Correct. 
not the person who offered to sign. Absolutely, because how how would how how does anybody know that? It's an interesting point. Yeah. So if Summer Ross plays in the AVP tournament, the AVP will not get sued. Well, but Summer Ross could get sued. That would be my guess. I mean, sure, you could put a lawsuit out. Point. Anybody could sue anybody, but she's the one that interfere or could have the conflict of interest. How would the AVP necessarily know if she signed that other contract or not? Right, right. We're assuming this between two companies, not necessarily two that are at war with one another. Correct. For the world of beach volleyball. Yeah. Right. That's an interesting point, but I, I think that it, it definitely benefits the AVP to pressure players and pressure the NBL, right? I mean, we're you said this before. This is business. Oh, yeah. This is not kumbaya, sit around the campfire, roast marshmallows together. Which Correct. Which is what I'll be doing this next weekend with my boys. I'll be doing that this evening. Anyways, fire pits. Oh. Oh, yeah, going to the beach. Nice. S'mores. Nice. Got, got family in Dockweiler? Maybe. Wow. Got some family in town. Anyways. Go, go heels <laughs> if you go to Doc Wilder at night. Okay. Uh, yeah, this is war. This is not uh, friendly business. This is two people who have a, a interest in controlling the world of beach volleyball professionally in the United States. So the fact that there is conflict, conflict, the fact that there are competing interests, you could say it's good for the sport, couldn't you? That has been the argument, like competition in an open market could be good for the sport. Eventually, somebody's going to win, though. Yeah, eventually, somebody's going to win. The other party's going to walk away unhappy. Of course. Unless they just like losing. <laughs> Nobody likes losing, Kevin. This is our goal. We're gonna, I, I don't. Let we're going to go out there. and try and lose this game. Yeah. Um, I'm concerned it's the mid-level players that are getting uh, the shaft in all of this. Yes, they are. And they and let me and I've I had spoken to some of them over the weekend and I've told them I was like look because they were presented well let me put it like this do not sign anything unless you have a lawyer look at it first right there was the situation somebody, that someone that the contract was being brought around for the players to sign just before their matches at the NBL correct and people say oh you shouldn't do that it's not the right time what a bull move by the NBL there's plenty of precedent for this. Oh, it's not the first time that that's happened. The AVP did it back in the day. Leonard Armado controlled AVP did it. Of course. Oh, yeah, before you step out on that court, can you sign this piece of paper real quick? Exactly <laughs> what they did. It's exactly <laughs> what they did. Because if you with don't... other extremely important Because if you don't sign it, you can't step on that court. Exactly. So well, let's not pretend that this doesn't happen. No, and yeah, does that suck? For sure. Could you have flown all the way to Dallas for the NBL event, and then you get a piece of paper that says you need to sign this right now before you step on the court? And you're like, well, I need to have a lawyer look at it before I sign it. Okay, you can't play. Hmm. Well, I just flew all the way to Dallas. But you right. know what? It's I, I keep telling people, you need to look at the long term. Short term, yes, you get to play in Dallas. Long term, you don't really know what that contract says yet. Or what it actually means. Somebody can verbally tell you what they think it means, but unless a lawyer is verbally telling me what it means... Here's the problem. Contracts are only as good as the people who are involved with them and the interests of those people. Because no matter what a contract says, if it doesn't benefit the other side, if you're in it and the other side, if it doesn't benefit the other side to hold you to the contract, they will never hold you to it. Correct. 
it has to so benefit them to hold you to the contract that they will try and legally enforce it. Yep. Many times you have a contract between two parties. It's it's nothing more than a tacit agreement because if one party wants out, the other party will let them out because it doesn't make business sense to keep them in. Correct. Some of my DJ agreements, like I'm agreeing to provide DJ services for you. If I can't or if you want to let me go or whatever, like there's language for that to happen. But if I just don't show up, there's legal precedence for them to come after me. Right, but but like this, if you have an agreement with someone to show up and DJ their event, yep, and they then, for some reason, decide we don't want you, even though we've signed you, yep, two days before they say we don't want you to come and DJ our event. Mm-hmm. There are competing forces at work. Yes, you're due the money because the contract says you're hired and you're you're booked and, and you're getting the money. Yep, but it doesn't benefit them. To knock you out that way, because then you go bad mouthing them all over the place. You're Correct. never going to DJ for them again. Some other people aren't going to DJ for them again. Correct. It doesn't benefit you to knock yourself out because you're not going to get another job through them. You're not going to get a job through anybody else. Correct. So there's always that aspect, the going forward aspect of things. Mm-hmm. Yes, you could get out of the contract. Would you want to? Yeah. Sometimes it does benefit both parties to get out of a contract. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure what the result, the end result of this will be. We'll have to wait and see the entry list, I think, for the AVP event. See who gets in. Yeah. See who gets an opportunity to play. Mm-hmm. Because we, we've we heard nothing from the AVP, essentially, correct? I have not seen anything. The only thing, they sent an email to the players stating um, uh, something along the lines of, like, if you've signed the NBL contract, we're fully reimbursing you your registration entry because they because of their concern of being sued by the NBL and they don't want to have to go through that hassle. Is that a smokescreen for AVP? Do you think they're really scared? This is just conjecture. I mean, yeah, we're no, not I, inside the AVP. I mean, scared. I mean, I don't know if it's scared, but like, if I can, whether somebody suing me is legitimate or not. You still have to deal with it. It's not like somebody has a frivolous lawsuit against me. I'm just going to ignore it because it's stupid. Like you still have to deal with it. So if there's maybe something I can do to even prevent or open that door for somebody to do that, sure, I may you know take steps to look. It's uh, more beneficial for me to do X so I don't get sued than it is to do Y to possibly get sued. Mm-hmm. You know, so smokescreen. You know, I don't know. I mean. I mean, the the mid-level players are getting used in all this for sure in some way, shape, or form. Um, but like we said before, it's all business stuff. And I'm a little – some fans I've heard I – haven't, I haven't heard a lot of fan complaint about this online. I've heard some fans, but mostly people who are involved in the sport, like they're promoters around the country that are talking about this, and I, and I understand all of that. I haven't heard a whole lot of fans saying – Oh, I won't support the AVP because they're not letting the 54th ranked player play in their tournament. Or I haven't heard fans say, "Oh, I won't go to the NBL event because of the AVP event in Salt Lake City." Like whatever. I haven't really heard much outcry from the fans on that level. The fans just want to see volleyball. Fans don't care. They they really don't. They don't care. They just want they see the name AVP because they've known it for so long. They want to support it. 
And the bottom line is if you put on a good event, the fans are going to be there. That's you, the bottom line. If you're really drawing random fans, people who are coming in, you're just going to draw folks to the sport. If you're mm-hmm. doing that, those are random people. They don't care. They probably still think Karch Cry is playing. They're coming in to see Gabby Reese. Where's Gabby Reese? Why isn't Gabby Reese playing? <laughs> I mean, really. That's, but those I, are the I'm people who you. you need. If you're going to grow the sport, those are the people who you need. You need to bring them in because they think they're seeing Gabby Reese, and they're going to come in and see somebody entirely new. Well, and I've heard some people say, too, that this isn't growing the sport, all this drama that's going on. Nah. But, and I've said overstating its significance. Well, and I've said it before, too. It's not, and this, this may not be popular, but it's not the AVP's responsibility and or the NVL's responsibility to grow the sport. I know they both may say, like, we're trying to do what's best for the sport. It like, behooves I get it. them to do it. It behooves them, yes. But they're they're both businesses. They need to do what's best for their business. Correct. And that could be what's good for the sport down the line, too. But in my professional non-volleyball opinion, USAV being the governing body, it's their responsibility to do what's best for the sport. And they have been, like with the junior side of all that stuff. Like they're, they're, They are growing the sport from their perspective, but people think they need to step in on the pro side and do stuff, too. I'm not sure how much – like what can USAV do – in this circumstance, like where, like that's Nothing. like people are like, well, where are they in this? I don't know if they even need to be involved in this, but NVL and the ADP are both businesses, and they're doing what's best or what they think is best for their business. Yeah, I mean, we're not we're not here to judge what's happening. We're going to see what what happens and how it all plays out. Yep. All right, let's take thirty seconds. We'll be right back with Riley Salmon here on the show. 2008 gold medalist. Tell us about what he's up to now and some of the controversy that has surrounded him recently. Riley Salmon on the turn. Magazine, the only print publication covering all aspects of the sport you love. VBM has been publishing the latest in volleyball news for over 35 years. With exclusive photo galleries, player interviews, event coverage, product reviews, and volleyball-specific health and fitness advice, Volleyball Magazine is a great resource for players and fans of all levels. Now with an even more robust online presence, check out VolleyballMag.com to subscribe and find exclusive web content and articles. Also on Facebook, Twitter, and Pinterest, Volleyball Mag is the industry's number one volleyball magazine. Welcome back to the Net Live here on Volleyball Magazine. Big thanks to them and the AVCA for all their support of this show. Well, welcome in our first guest for today's program. He's 37 years young, the two-time Olympian, 2008 gold medalist, 
had a lot of fantastic swings against Russia, I remember. Some big ones. A teammate of mine back in 2004. The original road warrior of volleyball, and he's doing it right now. He's out in Germany making an appearance, as he's still a part of the volleyball world, but coming on here to address some of what's happened to him recently here at the end of his career. Please welcome to the Net Live, Riley Salmon. Riley. Thank you, Kevin. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate you taking the time. Hey, Riles, uh, where are you right now? I'm actually headed to the airport. I had a little problem uh, with my passport on Friday. Um, got an expedited one this morning. Headed to the airport right now and uh, headed over to do a camp with Brian Sweeney over in Germany. Very good. Well, you're going to have a good time over there. We've t- talked to him here on the show, and it seems like the program he's running is a lot of fun. Hey, uh, we mentioned last week your doping suspension. At this point, you have a four-year suspension via the World Anti-Doping Agency, and I want to take people through uh, with you the the details of how this all came about, the details of your first doping violation, which came a few years ago. I believe you were taking a drug called Avapro, and then you took yep. a substitute for it called Avalide that contained yes, a banned substance, and, and and just take us through what happened with that process, how you were notified, and the eventual adjudication of it. Well, what had happened is I was uh, playing my pro season over in Turkey. I uh, came down with a pretty gnarly virus. Uh, nobody really knew what it was. Long story short, I flew back home to the United States, um, and I was diagnosed with E. coli uh, and Bell's palsy. So two pretty crazy viruses that I picked up over there. And they put me on uh, Avapro, which was a, which is a blood pressure medication. And inside of it has, uh, which unbeknownst to me, was a diuretic inside of it. And hydrothorothiazide, I think is what it's called. I'm not sure I probably mispronounced it. Um, I think you did good with that one. I, I just having trouble with it earlier. You pronounced it perfectly. <laughs> well, I, I did a lot of research on it. And um, I went over to Switzerland, flew myself over, obtained a lawyer, um, when I walked in the door, they had already pretty much had my sentence, or not sentence, but they had my, um, my time. I think I'd been suspended for two months at the time. Uh, they just said I'd have another two months suspension if that was okay with me, and we would kind of just sweep it under the rug. Uh, so that's what happened with the first one. All right, so you go through that, and then you continue on in your career. And you go ahead and finish out your career. Last year, you missed out on the 2012 games. It kind of came down to you and Paul Lottman was my understanding. And I remember being down in Dallas when it was coming down, and finally the decision was made by Alan Knife to select Paul Lottman. But there were some issues earlier that only just recently came to light, and that was back in the Olympic qualifier here in Long Beach when there was some random drug testing, and you tested positive for a separate uh, substance. What substance was that, and how did that happen? Well, you know, it's, a, it's one of the over-the-counter, you know, as all athletes say and claim, especially when they get caught doing something maybe we shouldn't be. It's, you know, it's over-the-counter, it's supplement fault. Uh, I want to clarify first and foremost that I obviously, anything I put into my body, I'm ultimately responsible for. So by no means am I casting stones or anything like that. I know at the end of the day it all comes down to what I put into my body. Um, and at the time I was taking a supplement called Oxy Elite, which is a fat burner. Uh, gives you a little bit more energy. And um, as was known in the training room, fat don't fly. So that was kind of my motto. Um, it, and the substance is fine to use out of competition. Um, it's not a banned substance out of competition. It's one of those things. Once you get into competition, you have to stop using it. Well, I didn't use it in the competition. Uh, as a matter of fact, I stopped two to three days before the competition started. 
I think I was tested either the second or third day of competition, and it was still in my urine. So uh, that happened. Um, I didn't receive notification until well after the Olympic Games were over. Um, I think it was maybe two months into my retirement. I was fairly uh, fairly depressed, bummed out that I wasn't with the team anymore. Um, and uh, WADA, I'm sorry, WADA had asked me to send them a written a written letter explaining why I took what I took. And me being in the state of mind that I was in, I knew I wasn't going to play anymore. I just said, obviously, I took a banned substance. That's it. I'm retired. Um, they they didn't think that was the proper response. So instead of – they originally gave me a one-year ban, which we both agreed upon, um, and it was set. Uh, then, then they came back after they saw my response, and they I think they thought, thought that I was maybe spitting in their faces. Uh, which wasn't. I just wasn't in a good state of mind. I didn't want to be around a volleyball. I just want to hear volleyball people. Um, I think we've all been there at the end of our career. It was just something that I had to move past. So I went on. I battled them for about two months, um, and then they came out with the, with the four-year bands, and that's where we are. And, again, like I said, by no means is anybody else's fault but myself. You know, I'm obviously, at the end of the day, responsible for what I spent my body. Why take the chance of taking a substance that is definitely banned? Were you aware that that substance was banned for in competition? Yes, I was. I was aware that it was banned in competition, but I wasn't aware uh, that this exact product had it on the on the label. So it doesn't say it on the label. It's one uh-huh. of the things that that it can be inside of the supplement without you knowing about it. Um, but you know, I knew it. I knew it affected me in a positive way. It gave me a lot of energy and. You know, it helped me compete to the very end, and unfortunately, it was a bad assessment. When were you notified of that drug test? You say it was after the Olympic Games, but the results had to come back quicker. We're talking May to August. Yeah, I was probably notified around the uh, end of August, I would imagine. You know, I would, it would have been a very, I guess I wouldn't say interesting, but obviously if I would have made that team, it would have caused a lot more of a stir. Yeah, that would be an interesting situation that it took that long to get the, the testing back. I was unaware that it takes that long for the testing to come back for for an event. And, and that seems, I don't know, that, that seems to kind of defeat the purpose if you've already, already competed in the Olympic Games. <laughs> Absolutely, it does. And that's one of the flaws that we have with this system. I mean, I, could, I think there's several flaws with it, and I, I really wish that we could get it down to where, I mean, just for instance, if I had not been, you know, if I was able to compete in the Olympic Games and I would have been there and we would have won a medal, obviously that medal would have been jerked away from us. You know, so you know, the, I think the procedure's got to be a little bit quicker, first of all. And second of all, you know, again, it's not on the product. It's on the athlete at the end of the day. You know, I'm not going to take that risk. Yeah, it just seems like an odd decision to make to actually take that stuff. I mean, I remember when the water rules came in, I was on the team. I believe you were at the same time when things were coming down a bit stricter than they had been in the past, and I pretty much stopped taking everything outside of regular food due to my concerns for the off-label issues. How much thought did you give to taking this stuff at the time out of competition? How worried were you about a possible scenario like this before it occurred? Um, honestly, I, I, I wasn't too concerned. Uh, I was pushing the envelope. I mean, I was, knew I was drawing near the end of my career, and unfortunately I think I was being a little bit selfish and choosing myself over my team, you know, which uh, but I think at the end of our careers, we always look for an extra, anything that will push us a little bit further, give me a little bit more endurance, you know, and 
I think that's what I was looking for. Now looking back on it, it was obviously a big mistake, and I wish I would have listened, especially to Aaron Rock and you know some other people that had consulted with me and told me that you know what you should be doing and exactly what you said that you should be doing is basically eating the right things, correct diet, and keeping everything else out of the chance of anything that can keep you out of the Olympic Games. But at that time in my career, I was really no, I was just pushing, and I was—I you know, think I pushed a little bit too hard. I, I wasn't aware of what was going on in front of me. Well, you said at the end of your career you didn't want to think about volleyball, but it seems like you're back in a big way doing work with the NVL, and I've seen you competing in quite a, a few other events, kind of getting back to your roots here, being a, a traveling mercenary of volleyball. Yes, sir, that's what I'm doing now. Uh, fortunately, I just picked up a good sponsorship with uh, Rock. Uh, I think we're going to do, I think it's this year through the following year, uh, we're going to start doing a lot of work with the NVL and some clinics the Rocks and NBL are going to start putting on together for some juniors, which I think is going to explode, um, you know, and they're obviously trying to get me involved in their indoor as well. So it's a great opportunity for me, and I'm excited about it. And I unfortunately will not get to play this weekend in, uh, in the NBL in Hermosa, but I will be out there soon, I'm sure. Yeah, so you're going to be in Germany teaching kids there. Tell us about the program there and what you're bringing to uh, to the event. Well, what I'm doing is I'm, you know, I'm coming over as kind of the, the guest of honor, you know, bringing the gold medals. And uh, really, I think what Brian is doing over there is a great deal. He has, a, I think he does his camp once or twice a year. He gets about 180 kids, but are all from military background, all American kids in the area um, of Europe, is from what I'm understanding. And we go over there basically teach them. Uh, there's there's different divisions. Obviously, you have a recreation. I'm sorry, a beginner intermediate and uh, I think it's an advanced. So we'll be doing all all those all three levels of camp and uh, I'll just be a floater coach going around helping out every kid every kid as much as I can. I think Jeremy has a little bone to pick with you about this. Yeah, there okay. were uh, originally Riley, we uh we had been contacted about going to uh Germany and then all of a sudden I hear a guy with a gold medal's going. And instead of <laughs> yes, world renowned Beach volleyball DJ is going. I, I, I don't. Under, I think they made the wrong decision. I'm just gonna throw that out there. I'm just saying. Well, I, just saying. I think, I, I think that could have been fine either way for sure. It's strange that Jeremy showed up this morning with apparently it looks like tinfoil painted with gold <laughs> hanging around his neck. I don't. I'm not sure what kind of competition he was trying to start. Trying to get some new gigs. <laughs> Well, Riley, I mean, everyone goes through this transition after their career is over and trying to figure out what they want to do. You, you said that it was uh, kind of a dark time when you were involved in all this at the end after the Olympic Games. And just give us some insight into that process for you as you realize you were not you were no longer going to play that indoor role, that 100% professional volleyball player, 100% dedication to that career how did you go through that process? Are you still in some of that process of deciding what to do and what the next chapter is for you in your life? Yeah, Kevin. I mean, I think you know as well as anybody. Whenever you know it comes down to the end, it's a hard, it's a hard thing to do. And and I think I'm fortunate in the sense that Adam or not uh, that uh, Alan ended it for me. Otherwise, you know, I would have kept trying and kept going and you know doing whatever I could to compete. You know, it, it was a it was a very dark time for the probably the I don't know, four or five months that followed, just the sense of getting uh, adapted back to what I call reality. You know, we lived inside such a sheltered bubble for so many years, being told where to do, where where to go, what to do, you know, how to do it. And, you know, it, 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 I don't know, it's almost institutional, what's it called, institutionalized. 
You know, so for me, it was, it was a bit hard, but I think now I'm finally back in the road that I want to go. And I'm doing something that I like to do, which is work with children, teach them the right way to play the game. And I still get to compete at a pretty high level. Um, you know, I it, it, took, it took a long time to get over it, though. I would say probably the last three months of my life are back to the way I want them to be. And I think my wife and my kids, you know, appreciate that. Uh, it's just, um, it was, you know, you always hear ex-athletes or old athletes saying, well, you know, you know when it's time, you know when it's time. Well, I think anyone that competed at the highest level and loved the game as much as I did, you know, um, didn't want to let it go, you know. And, I, and I'm still glad that I get to be a part of it, you know, because a lot of people just go on and do a different life altogether. And I'm, I'm glad that I still get to be a part of volleyball and to teach kids to do it the right way. You know, and unfortunately, I've had a couple of blemishes on my record, but I think anybody that knows me knows that what I stand for is hard work, dedication, and, you know, that's, that's about all I, I really stand for. Can you turn what happened with the doping violations into a positive somehow? I think so. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I'm, I'm uh, currently talking with uh, Spiraw and some of the guys. Maybe come out and help them with some of their passing. Uh, come, I don't know when he wants me to come out at some point, but for sure I can be an advocate of definitely not taking anything that you shouldn't take. I mean, I was a guy that would that push the envelope, and, you know, I want to tell these other guys that they should not do anything. And basically what you're saying, just eat right and Diet correctly and don't chant it. It's not worth it. Riley, how much are you keeping in touch with the current national team and their development? You said you talked to Spra about perhaps going on a trip, but how much have you watched these guys? Honestly, Kevin, not at all. You know, it still still stings pretty much. Um, I saw – I haven't seen any of them play at all. Um, I watched a little bit of Scott Zinsky and Kavika Sochi. Sorry, Kavika, if I missed – busted that. Uh, on their German leagues last year – and I, but other than that, I haven't really watched any of the national team stuff this year. All right, Riley Salmon, have a great time in Germany. Thanks for coming on and, and clarifying this and kind of stepping to and giving our, our audience pure information from the source uh, on what happened. We're sorry that it happened and wish you the best of luck continuing on and glad to have you still a part of volleyball. Thanks, Kevin. And one more thing, I want to apologize to Ace from Bollywood out there. Uh, when this news broke, he kind of sent the story out, and I got on pretty hard. Uh, I just want to say I'm sorry to Ace out there if I was a little bit too abrupt with you. Um, I just want to put that out there again. Sorry, my apologies out there. And, uh, anybody need me, get in touch with me. Thanks a lot, Dennis. All right. Thanks, Riley. Appreciate All right, it. Thanks, sir. All right. Riley Salmon on his way to Germany. You know, it's it's a very challenging thing when when you, the athletes, are charged with basically making sure that one of a thousand substances doesn't end up in your body somehow. And there are, of course, those like apparently Derek Jeter, uh, but definitely Marion Jones, who was caught, uh, a host of other sprinters. Derek Jeter? I'm not uh, Jeter, sorry. Uh, Hey, now. No, no. Now we're definitely going to get some hate. Sorry, wrong wrong (laughs) handsome Yankee. A-Rod, pardon me. Uh, There's a big difference between Barry Bonds and A-Rod and Marion Jones and their situations, and what happened here to Riley. 100%. And, what, we, and we had stated that. Yeah, what happened here to Riley is something that could happen to to any of the athletes. For sure. In any sport that are under WADA right now. There, there are so many things out there in the unregulated supplement industry that, as Riley stated, there are things in these products that are not on the ingredients. Correct. List. Or they're being and, made in the same areas that other things are being made. Right. So it's somehow traced. Trace uh, trace elements, thank you, are in... Trace amounts? Yeah. 
are in the X, stuff that you're taking. X amount. Exactly. Yeah, and, and that happens. And they have actually had cases where the athlete still had the supplement. They've actually had that container tested. The problem becomes, think about the timing on this. Riley has this tested, was it the second week of May, I believe it was? Yeah, he does not get notified until <clears throat> after the Olympic Games, the end of August? Yeah. How are you supposed to still have the protein powder that was tainted or the, the particular substance that was tainted in your possession. You just you Come need on. you need to have a storage unit, put it all in there. <laughs> yeah, you need to take one of each and then put the box in. Just well, in and we also live in the world too that as soon as you hear they got suspended for doping, you automatically right. think they're putting the cream or the clear. Right. And Riley also not a biogenesis situation. Correct. Heard that we brought it up and was concerned that we were putting out the wrong information because automatically you hear um, steroids or whatever. And you're like, oh, it's an A-Rod, Barry Bond situation. I mean, I heard Riley was 6'4", 320, and jumped 65 inches. Awesome. Right? Yeah. So, I mean, I respect him for contacting us and then coming on the show. Yeah, I think – And being honest. I felt like he was honest about, you know, he wasn't ducking behind anything. It's like like anybody, you are responsible for what you put in your body. But, again, it's true. Like these things he could just be buying over the counter at GNC. Yeah, you got to hit it head on with yeah. some of this stuff, especially when it is a situation like this where – this is not systematic doping. This is not biogenesis. This is not the cream to clear. This is not um, I'm on purpose looking for an edge. Now, it's a little stupid to take something you know is banned out of competition. Well, that's what I find. But yet is okay in competition. And, and Riley copped Other to way around. saying not okay in competition. I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah. Not okay in competition. Yeah, yeah. And Riley copped to it saying, hey, other guys told me not to be doing this. I put myself first above my team. There's a lot to be learned in that and a lot to be seen in, in an athlete who's trying to make one last Olympic game. Well, and I'm confused, too, why, if the Olympics are banning it, or WADA, whatever whatever their acronym is that I can never remember. World Anti-Doping Agency. Yes, WADA. Yes. Um, if they're banning it, if it's illegal during competition, why is it okay out of competition? Like what I, don't the, know I don't know the what the reasoning, reasoning would, uh, behind that would be. I don't know the reasoning either, but I do know there are significant differences between the two. Uh, what is it, pallets or something they refer to it as? Uh, there are significant differences as to what is illegal in or out. Yeah. And I don't know what the reasoning is behind that. I, I have to do a little research and look and see. Um, but it is that way. Yeah. I, I would never make the choice personally to take something that was illegal in competition, and I was taking it out of competition for exactly this reason i would never just for myself yeah and of course for your team but just for myself i don't want to test positive for anything correct it's not worth it i think a lot of athletes have his mindset though like he saw the end of his career coming he's like i need to do everything i can to still be on the floor and you probably are feeling pressure to perform for your team as well you don't want to let them down so you could be thinking about it that way, not in a, oh, I'll let them down if I take this substance. Not that he, like we said, not that he was like taking the cream or the clear. But he didn't think, he's like, okay, I stopped taking it, wasn't taking it during competition, so I shouldn't test positive for it. He's doing everything he can that he feels is right for the team. Right. I think a lot of athletes would be in that same mindset, especially if he feels as you get older, you feel like you aren't jumping as high or hitting right. the ball as hard as you did before. So you're like, okay, what can I do to kind of get back to that a little bit? I could still hit the bar, ball as hard. Obviously, and you can block everybody like on, You can block everybody on the beach. No, I no, couldn't block I Phil. I couldn't block Phil. Because he would just hit over you. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but everybody else, you could absolutely roof them on the beach. No, I, I would never make the decision to do that, but I I have my legs sawed in half trying to continue playing. I mean, If that, they said that they happened, could cut so your I, knees off and I, give you brand new knees, you would be back out there tomorrow. 
Yeah, I think so. Yeah, of course. But no, I, I had understandable. the surgery I had on my leg is pretty extreme, and that was to, to see try and if play. you can get back out. Of course. Yeah, I mean, I I totally get the mindset that Riley was in, mm-hmm. and I understand where he's at now. Look, look, and it, he's not the only me. athlete to think that way or do stuff along those lines. Riley's one year out right now. Mm-hmm. I don't think he's remotely through the situation as far as changing your lifestyle and being comfortable in another career. I don't think he's remotely through it. It took me five years. So like last year. To establish. You're still grumpy now, but remember how grumpy you were like a year ago? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? <laughs> I was at the end of my rope with, with trying to find a new career and find a new place that I fit. Well, I was as he was talking about you know, the end of his career and stuff like that, when you've been doing something, he's probably been, I would assume, right out of college. You said he was playing beach, probably Went playing to overseas. junior college. Played a bunch of tournaments around the United States. Yeah. Kind of hanging around. Sold used cars at one point briefly. Yeah. Went and played professionally overseas, then came back to the national team. Only then did he really start to make a living at it three years later. So he'd been playing volleyball. For, or playing or wanting to play. This is what I want my career to be, to play 90, volleyball. Let's see. Since about 95? Yeah. 95? Yeah. It's 2000 and what? When he 13, retired? 12. Yeah. yeah. So you're playing volleyball that long. Right. To try to then... Like you said, getting the mindset of, okay, now I need to do something else for the rest of my life. Because there's a lot more life to go at your mid-30s when you're done with your first career. Other people are just hitting the stride of their career. Yeah. And they've been and you've doing already it. ridden it to the top and down. Yeah. <laughs> and not only that, they're in their career, and they've been in their career already as long as you were in your first career. But now you need to... You're at the bottom. Yeah. It's tough. I can't. I honestly can't imagine. I'm still at the bottom. I'm just not as far at the bottom right now with broadcasting as I was. I was at the way far bottom. Now I'm somewhere <laughs> off the bottom. I used to be a carp. Now I'm just a catfish. Um, Texas Troll on the <laughs> chat board asked if you were talking about roofing everyone in sitting volleyball. <laughs> <laughs> That's still coming up. I cannot That's wait. That's happening in Phoenix. Cannot wait. You're on the team, right? Just tell me the dates. I need okay. to put it in my calendar and I'm All right. in. All right. Well, and it's not, it's not a question if I'm on the team. I'm on the team, Kevin. I'm starting outside. Oh, you're outside? Uh, whatever. Libero, whatever you want me to be. I don't know, Texas Troll, does high hands work in sitting volleyball? Yes. We're going to find out. Think of how much much more court I can hit if I can go <laughs> high hands. Uh, it, you know, Guest 1700 says, it's important to remember that sports is something we do. It is not who we are. I, I disagree. Mm. For most people, that's true. For people who play sports at a professional level, if you have been able to achieve NFL NBA, Major League Baseball, uh, the highest of soccer, Olympic sports of any kind, if you have been able to achieve that, that pretty much is who you are. That's what you were made to do. Correct. What about outside the gym? You brought that up. Well, you don't have much outside. Yeah, how much? uh, It's always been the funny thing about the Olympics. They say, well, the Olympic Committee, they require you to be doing continuing education things. People don't need continuing education when they're playing. You can't do it. You need to be a very special person to do it. Very special person to be able to do that. When you need it is the five years after you're done. That's when that support should happen. That's when they ought to pay for you to go back to school. They ought to put you in contact with folks. They ought to put you in grad school. They ought to have you finish your undergrad, have you go to college, whatever you left off before you joined their Olympic teams. Mm -hmm. That's when they ought to be putting the money into you is afterwards because you earned that right by giving yourself 100%. And if you did not give 100%, you didn't make an Olympic team. Correct. 
by giving yourself 100% to the, the commitment of the U.S. Olympic Committee and whatever sport you play. Well, and this is where we've talked about having some type of mentor program or some type of networking program through USAV, and I think they do have something along those lines that's come up before. So like somebody like Riley, like here's how we can help you after your career. Here's other people that you've met throughout your career. Um, somebody like you could be in that position now on the mentor side because you did play. You got injured. The, your career was taken away from you not because you just couldn't do it anymore, but you could because you couldn't do it anymore because of a physical ailment, not because like oh, I've just I just don't have it. I've made enough anymore. money. I'm done. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like <laughs> you can be like, okay, yeah, the transition was tough. Here's how I did it, and then you meet people that way. I think that's where something like that would come in to um, help those athletes who've been doing it for so long that you, like you said, if you're at the top of your game, you've given it a hundred percent for a long time, right. and you haven't really been doing anything else. Right, and and to the U.S. Olympic Committee's credit, they have been trying increasingly to implement these programs, but I, I think it has to happen in a financial, in a true financial and structure sense afterwards. They have to have a whole after program. A USOC after program is what they have to have mm-hmm. for Olympians. Okay. You've got to draw the line somewhere. You can't have somebody who came in for a year or whatever, but yeah. honestly, if you made an Olympic team, you should be due that support when you leave there, you should be able to go get a four-year degree on them or go get a two-year degree on them, well, the flip, wherever you happen to be. Yeah. The flip side of that discussion, though, is like, let's say your country is basically supporting you to go to the Olympics. They're paying for your food. They're paying for your training. Right. They're paying for facilities, paying for your living. They could also say, well, how much more do we owe you now? Well, they're taking away any opportunity to do anything else. And athletics is a strange thing. If you're an accountant, let's say you're made to be an accountant, right? Yeah. Came out the womb with a calculator. But you, you that's what you're going to be good at. Yep. That's your square peg, square hole. <laughs> yep. Not square peg, round hole. Yes. So that's your thing. You can do that from... And you are the best accountant there is, Kevin. 23 mm-hmm. to 73. Yep. Okay? And to college to your grave. Sports is a unique thing. Even if you achieve that level, you're only going to be at that level for what? Maybe... Maybe 10 years? That's a long career. Depends on, depends on what sport you're playing. That's a pretty decent long career. Mm-hmm. All right. The average probably professional sports career, even if you threw in all the Olympic games and everything, and so football, baseball, whatever, I'll bet. Late 20s, early 30s. Seven or five or something like that, right? Mm-hmm. Five to seven years. Mm-hmm. And then you have to completely reinvent yourself. And one of the things you find is that, look, I was made for that sport. I was made to side out. For that life. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. I was made for that life. And people would always say, oh, I'd love to have your job. And I said it before in this program, you couldn't do my job. Correct. You couldn't drag your sorry, beaten, <laughs> aching body to another practice. Yeah. In another gym, in some other country, and then go to play another match. And because that's all people see is the game. And they then get on a bus yeah. for six hours afterwards, get home at three in the morning, have 18 hours off. And get back to practice again. You couldn't do that job. I can. I can do it physically. I can do it mentally. Mm-hmm. That job's going to end. Quickly. Right. Ten years goes by. And to 1700's point, you don't know that, right? Correct. And, and the question here you put up here is then when you're done, is your life over? Well, you think so. <laughs> I, I, I keep coming back. You're surprised to find that there's a whole other world out there. I keep coming back to Eric Fanoi Moana's 40th birthday party. We played a video 
of like his career highlights, everything he's done up to that point in his life. And then he got on the mic afterwards, and he was like, well, that's been a great run. Like not knowing what else he's going to do in his life, he's like, yep, that's it. I might as well just get in the grave right now. Just open the box. I'll just jump in. Don't know what else I can do at this point. I got a gold medal, pretty much dominated, won all the big events. Yeah, that's it. It's been fun. It's been real. It's been real fun. At I'm the, out. At these athlete <laughs> retirement parties, there should be there and should I, just be a casket. Yeah, there's, instead of the rocking chair, here, just get in it. <laughs> and I told him afterwards, I was laughing afterwards, like, bro, your life's not over. He's like, yeah, but like he was all emotional. That was hilarious. But I, I mean, I get it. Texas troll, it's your choice to be an Olympian or, or to be on the team. Well, true. Yes, it is. Yeah, you could be like, you know what, I'm done with sports. But hey, you, look, you ride that wave as long as you can. It's your choice to be a coal miner. Plus, Texas no, Troll hit you. It, it's your choice <laughs> to be a coal miner. It's still no excuse for the company providing so much dust that you end up with black lung. Correct. I'm with you on that. Not on that same level, but You're correct. But, the Olympics but are not point. giving you the black lung. No, they're not. <laughs> but I got a bum knee. That's uh, true. But you know, it, it's not to that aspect to that point. But there's there's what's right to do and what you could do. There's there's what the minimum is, and there's what the maximum is, right? I, I think if you're going to be the U.S. Olympic Committee and you're going to exist on the backs of your athletes, which is what they do. Without the athletes, they're not selling anything. Correct. They're selling the athletes and the, and the and sports and the Correct. games, right? Of course. Even though there's all this corporate culture behind it, they're selling the athletes. Mm-hmm. Then I think you should continually think of new ways to not only cultivate that group. Yeah. But also be sure that that group gets out of the, of the backside okay, because you know it's coming. And when you come to the Olympics, whether you're 18 in the USOC or 20 or 23 or whatever you are when you join the USOC and its programming, mm-hmm. one of the national governing bodies, yep. you don't know. You don't oh, have that, that kind of foresight no, of course not. that there is a life to be lived after 30, because all you've ever done in most cases from the time you were 10 or 12 is play this sport. Yeah. Everything else is secondary to that. And that's the way it has to be if you're going to achieve that level. So the U.S. Olympic Committee, being cognizant of that, having the experience and the understanding of the longer view, I think ought to change the way that they do their planning and programming. Let me ask you this question, and you may not know the answer. The people who are in charge of all that stuff, are they former athletes themselves? No, are they most more... cases, no. And I think Sometimes. I think that's where some of the disconnect could be because they don't know like, I don't know what it's like. Like, yeah, I'm around athletes all the time. And I can imagine what Riley was going through at the end of his career, what you had to go through with your knee, what Reed's probably going to go through in the next few years. But I've never done it. Right. So I don't. I, I can imagine what it's like, but I honestly don't know how it feels. So if I am in charge of you athletes, and I'm like, well, I'll just find a new job afterwards because there are a lot of success stories of Absolutely. people that have found that job. But there's probably more... Like Ryan said, he went through like a de- depression afterwards. Like I'm sure that's more common than you being on TV all the time now. True. Yeah. I I think that and on the USOC side, on the on the USOC side of things, the athletes are not always open to help. The athletes do not always take advantage of the help that is offered. You cannot force the ex-athletes to take your program. You cannot force them to take any benefits that you have come up with and all the hard work that you as the USOC put into developing a program only to watch the athletes not take advantage of it or mm-hmm. not utilize it. And uh, it becomes a very complex thing, too, because maybe as an athlete you're not ready to utilize it 
your first year out. You're mm-hmm. still going through that trauma. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's three years out or four years out. But you as the USOC cannot carry that liability if you're offering school for yeah, five yeah. years. And yeah, then yeah. Not, you're talking nine years out from someone's career and you're Correct. paying their bills. Yeah. I think it's fraught with a lot of complexity. 100%. Well, and Guest 1700 brought up, then should the AVP and NBL take care of their players? And here's my discussion. Right now, no, because they can't take care of themselves yet. Exactly. And just like the NFL and NBA, when they first started, they couldn't take care of their players either. But they're also huge businesses now, so they can kind of set up retirement funds and things for these players afterwards. But you have to, to answer his question directly, the NBL and AVP need to be sustainable first before they can help anybody else. You can't be everything to everybody right away. My father's rookie contract in the NBA, $13,000. Yeah. 1968. Yeah. And how many other jobs did he have besides getting smashed on Sundays? Huh? How many other jobs did he have? No, it's NBA. No, oh, NBA. Yeah, NBA. So, okay. That's, that's He's still like... $13,000. That's before the NBA was really... The NBA. The NBA. Yeah. So you think they were thinking about taking care of their players after their career was over yet? No, they're just trying to exist as a league. Correct. But but there is a point where that, that changes, and the USOC has passed that point. <laughs> Let's be honest. Correct. The USOC has passed the point of just hanging in there. Correct. Uh, so, I you know, I don't know what the answer is necessarily, but certainly my experience, Riley's experience mm-hmm. that he's going through right now, every athlete who has gone through it, it's tough. It's challenging. I think the USOC, to be clear, has been trying to increase their athlete services both during and Good. shortly thereafter the career. I know USA Volleyball has tried to do that. And I think a lot of it's up to the athlete, too. And if you ask, you have to ask. That's the thing. I feel like um, if people just, like you said, if they just ask a question, you're amazing. you'll be amazed what answers you get. Right. But you have to ask. Correct. That's hard to tell a 20-year-old that. Hard to tell a 27-year-old who just finished a seven-year career. Correct. Correct. They don't know. You go, yeah, you're 30, but you're not 30 having been in the corporate world for the last eight years. You're 30 having been in a gym for the last eight years. Yeah. It's different. So now you need to go to get an internship like Vince Vaughn and uh, what's his face in the – what was it? It was called the interns. What was the – Yeah, Google yeah. or yeah. whatever, yeah. <laughs> no, it's a 30-year-old intern. <laughs> it's an interesting, interesting topic, and I'm sure not, discussion. not the last time that we will we will deal with that. Correct. On this show. Mm-hmm. Let's take a short break. Cool. We still have Brian Polar coming up. Going to give you a little primer for AVP Cincinnati. And we'll have more talk about the USA women's national team who continues their excellence. They had a great match this past week. And, Are they uh, still on the road for like another six months? Yeah, yeah, they're out of town until December. Yeah, we talked about that last time. Like, that's yeah. just ridiculous. Yeah, we'll go through a little bit more of their schedule in their Grand Prix event that they're currently playing. Awesome. Net Live, right back. Colgate smile, he had that suit and tie. Mama always said. 
get a rich boyfriend. You don't gotta love him, girl. You can pretend. You better totally believe there. Yeah, every word you said. Thought he was gluten free, but all that I got was bread. Mama always said, nice guys finish last. Beat him at his own game. Honey, take the cash. either on demand via the player or getting us on iTunes available for free. Remember, it's the Blog Talk radio feed that currently houses our new shows there in iTunes. All you have to do is search volleyball or the net live and you will come up with us. Follow us on Facebook forward slash the net live. Twitter. 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 We could be tweeting as well. We're on Instagram now too, Kevin. Yeah, we do. I almost Instagram my Jamba Juice from uh, <laughs> uh, I was in flying back from Vegas on Saturday. Got a Jamba Juice. Almost took a photo of it. Couldn't get a really good one I liked. Wasn't Instagram worthy. I, I was going to refer to it as our unofficial smoothie sponsor of I want, the NetLive. <laughs> I want to know what other smoothie places there are out there. I want to know where you get your smoothies. Where you're, where you're getting your smoothies. Take a picture. Give us the sign. Give us the place. Tag us in it on Facebook there on Twitter. Let us know. Where are you getting your smoothies? And if it's Smoothie King... Know that we're going to crash you. Stop listening to the show. (laughs) (laughs) Smoothie King. Or do this. Take a picture of a Smoothie King every time you go by. But make sure you hold up your middle finger and hold the photo. (laughs) If you're supporting the program. Have your NetLive shirt there. We can make a a new NetLive shirt with Smoothie King with like the red circle slash in it. We will so get sued by them. That would be awesome. That would be hilarious. We can slander Smoothie King. We just don't like their product. Yeah. Dear Smoothie King, it's not that we hate you. 
Personally, it's not a personal thing. It's that you're claiming you're a smoothie joint. You are an ice cream and candy shop. You're claiming you're a healthy smoothie joint. Yeah. I'm sorry. 100 grams of sugar and 50 grams of fat is not healthy. No. Sorry. Nope. Just not, not even in the American sense of the word. Just because there's fruit in it That's doesn't right. mean it's healthy, everybody. Fruit slurry. It's like getting a fruit cup. <laughs> oh, what, do you, what, what fruit do you have in your lunch today? I've got a fruit cup. No, you don't. You have syrup. With, with yeah, some cut up... Uh, Cut so, a pineapple on it. Yeah. With like or little peaches. sponges. Syrup yeah. sponges that were supposed to be peaches. Syrup sponges. I hated the fruit cup. It's so gross. <laughs> especially especially back in the day. Like now it's so easy to put some sort of little frozen thing in your lunch and you can kind of keep your lunch cold. But you remember you used to get your lunch middle of the day and like the pudding is warm. <laughs> the sandwich is warm. These are some traumatic childhood memories you would oh, bring you back up on the show. So gross. The, I didn't call your counselor. I do not want a warm sandwich. And if it's bologna, it better not even be, don't even bring bologna. I say I didn't, I, I, just, I was straight up PB&J. Even PB&J warm like how well, warm the day yeah, when all the but... jelly has soaked into the bread, it's disgusting. Mm. I don't like it. Depends on your jelly to peanut butter ratio, Kevin. <laughs> <laughs> and are you going preserves or are you going Yeah, well, jelly? Kind of, uh, well, I was spoiled as a kid. My family made homemade jelly. Okay. That was the greatest thing ever. But still, to this day, I have a hard time eating store-bought jelly. Yeah. Now, homemade stuff is fantastic, especially on a good piece of toast. But even if you have a good piece of toast, you put it on there, you put it on the peanut butter at 7 in the morning, and you go to eat it around Correct. noon. Correct, yeah. Uh, most of most of the white Wonder barf. Bread that I was eating was soaked with the All the way jelly. through. Oh, yeah. Oh, so disgusting. I would eat a peanut butter jelly sandwich right now, in case you're wondering. Uh, <laughs> it's just... Uh, it's just nasty. I have I have bad memories of now. So what do you well, how do you uh, save your kids lunches? Or do you make them buy at school? No, I make them. I make lunches every morning, and then I put them. Do in. Do you make them a smoothie? <laughs> we, we eat smoothie. Kids made smoothie last night themselves. Smoothie King. Yeah, with ice cream. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, it's not really. A smoothie. My son made a smoothie king over the the weekend. Awesome. It was frozen yogurt, ice cream, and one of those little cone things, all blended together with some milk. He was calling that a smoothie. I'm like, Max, that's a yeah, see, that is known as a shake. I don't put milk in my smoothies. Anyways. Uh, well, no, you wouldn't a milkshake. Yeah, but I... It's a milkshake. Oh, okay, I'm with you. Yeah. No, I, I put them in with the cold pack, and we keep things cool. Like, the sandwich stays cool, and you're going to eat that sandwich. <laughs> and the, the yogurt that we throw in there is cool. The pudding is cool. It's not hot. Not disgusting. Now, my younger son has decided he wants to carry it in his own bag, so he's getting warm stuff in the afternoon, but that's his choice. That's He's made that decision. That is his choice. Yep. It's a crazy choice. Smush sandwich in your backpack that you've been carrying around all day with 20-pound textbooks. Right, that you hucked through the room yeah, or whatever. Exactly. Yeah, that, that's his I'm choice. I'm not on board, but that's that's Max for you. All right, new AVCA poll out just now. Breaking news. The AVCA preseason poll is out. First poll of the year for Women's Division One, which, as we mentioned, is getting underway. Here we go. And we will have our first AVCA College Volleyball Weekly coming up in two weeks' time. That will be on a Tuesday. What day of the week is that, Jeremy? Is that, or what day is that? What day? That's, That's Tuesday. The day of the week. The <laughs> day of the week is Tuesday. It's the 27th, I believe, of August. We will have our next program. Is that correct? Correct. All right. Tuesday. August 27th. August 27th, we will have another live program for you. We will have the first ABCA College of Volleyball Weekly of the Year. But the ABCA has put out a poll. Here it is, Texas. End of the year at number one. Begin the year at number one. 
Good for them. Good for them. So Texas received 55 first place votes. Because they're returning most of that team? I'll have to look at it. I, don't I know. believe so. I will not be appearing on Texas Volleyball this year. I did last year once or twice. So you don't care about them is what you're saying? I will see them. <laughs> I'm sure. Penn State, number two. Dose. Stanford, number three. Trace. Southern California, four. Washington, five. Minnesota, six. Michigan, seven. Oregon, eight. Florida, nine. Nebraska, ten. Ooh. Interesting. In that top ten, four are from the Pac-12. Four are from the Big Ten. Although you can't call it the Big Ten anymore. You're supposed to call but it you the Big did. Ten. It's not ten. There's like 36 now. Yeah. It's, it can't be Big 12 because there's already Big 12. But interesting that eight of those teams are out of those two conferences. Of course, Texas outside of that and Florida outside of that, both in the top ten. Oregon dropped quite a bit. Oregon number two at the end of last year, of course. First appearance in the national championship mm-hmm. game. And Oregon losing their biggest outside hitter, but returning a whole bunch of other starters, actually losing their opposite and one of their outside hitters. Mm -hmm. Very important qualifiers there. We'll see how Oregon plays this year. I'll see them on Pac-12 a couple of times. Should be interesting. Hawaii is in 11th. UCLA 12th. BYU 13. Michigan State. Iowa State. Purdue. Kentucky. Florida State. Louisville. Kansas are your top 20, and then it's Western Kentucky, Dayton, Ohio State, Wichita State, Shockers, and Creighton. That's your top 25. Interesting notables that are outside of that group, Long Beach State, one-time powerhouse who had struggled through a lot of injuries last year. They got some votes. Illini, the fighting Illini, Mm -hmm. are outside of the top 25 to begin the year. Pepperdine, outside of the top 25 to begin the year, made a run last year. Notre Dame. Another team that has been good, St. Mary's, a WCC powerhouse. And Cal, how about Cal, outside of the top 25? Anything surprise you? Surprise me? In the top 10? No, I don't think so. Okay. It looks about right. I I think it's a good guess. And obviously this is based off of last year. Right. You have some teams making some moves, some teams staying more or less where they were. Washington finished ninth. They're now at fifth. Yeah. Minnesota up at sixth from eighth. Yeah, those are some some moves, but you you have some other teams that have fallen precipitously. Although we saw it kind of happen last year, uh, Pepperdine, who had a good finish to the year last year, pretty far out. Illinois, who was in the Final Four just a couple of years ago. Where's the Final Four this year? Or this Seattle. Season? That's right. Closer, closer. We were what Louisville last year, Kansas City. No, San Antonio the year before. Kansas City the year before that, I believe, is the rundown if I'm remembering correctly. It'll be an interesting season. I'm excited to see what happens with the development of these teams. There's always the guess off the top, and then you see who develops and who doesn't. I think Oregon is going to struggle to replace a lot of offense. It's going to be interesting to see what they do to replace that. I want to see what Mike Seeley does with his UCLA team. I want to see if Cal can stay healthy. I, I sent a little message to Ben Badipo mm-hmm. and said, See his, his Facebook photo with the team? No, I think it was, it was, it was a solo one where he had like the bear growl going. Oh, no. It was, it was brilliant. I want to check that out. Yep. But I checked in with Ben because last year I saw Cal a couple of times and they were a mash unit. Adrian Gihan was like their, their only remaining good starter for one match that I saw or star starter and she got hurt in the first set. Wow. They could barely run practice. They could barely field the team. He said, this year we're doing preseason and bubble wrap. <laughs> So hopefully Cal can stay You go to practice and they're just all like arms stretched out left to the right. 
Because they're just, they can't move them. They look like the kid in a uh, Christmas story. Come back, guys. Come back. Come back. Yeah. Yeah, so uh, better luck this year to the Cal Bears. Of course, they also liked Illinois just a couple of years ago in the Final Four. Mm-hmm. So we'll have to see what they can do. We can't believe we're talking that already. I know. It doesn't feel right. I know. Brandon Rosenthal will be back for I didn't hear his. Weekly. I didn't hear his team in there. Lips coming out in there. He's got some work to do. He's got to replace some offense. But they started with their tradition at midnight the first day that they were eligible. Good for them. So the day you become eligible... And, of course, the freshmen don't know this. You get woken up at midnight to come to practice. Awesome. And you practice from midnight to, like, 2 o'clock, and then you go to Waffle House. Awesome. Great tradition. I like that a lot. Waffle House is what would get me through the practice. (laughs) (laughs) What do I get to do after this? Waffle House? Okay, I'm in. That's right. Uh, Let's see. Somebody mentioned USD. I do not see. Oh, yeah, there's USD, 26. They got 101 points there, uh, 26. (laughs) If I'm reading this correctly. Texas Troll said, what about a preseason Final Four prediction from the host? Two points per team correctly picked. Loser has to drink a large smoothie from Smoothie King picked uh, out by the winner. <laughs> gross. <laughs> I don't know enough yet to uh, go Final Four predictions yet. you got to give me a little bit of time. I'll tell you, I called Oregon last year to go to the, the national championship. I have you to did? go back to the files. I did. Yep. I, I thought Oregon, I was impressed with them throughout the year, so yep. that was good. Uh, who's going to be good? This? I, I think... We're going to start to see a Texas is going to be good for sure. Oh, no doubt. Texas is going to be really good. Uh, Jared Elliott's running an incredible program down there. I'm sure we'll talk to him again this year. I mean, the top three are going to be good. I mean, Texas, Penn State, Stanford. As long as everybody's healthy, like anything. You never know what's going to happen. True. But it's hard to look at some of these rosters and not think, boy, they're going to be good. Yeah. I don't know. USC? See if they can be more consistent than last Mm -hmm. year. They had some some great performances last year. They of course have a super freshman. I'm trying to think of her name, Fabrizio. <laughs> super freshman. I have not. Fail. I have Can't not opened my total fail. I have not opened my D1 college stuff just yet. I'm still in the world still of international. Got, still football. got some time. Yeah, I'm in the world of international volleyball and at this point high school football. But I will get back to it. Samantha Bricio, I think is her name. Maybe the chat board can help me out there. But she had an incredible year last year, uh, freshman out of Mexico. But, yeah, I think these top teams, it's tough to pick against these. But I, I'm going to bet, put out there right now, mark it on the show, Minnesota is going to make a climb. Okay. I believe in this you. I believe in what he's doing. Second season. Second season. He's actually got a lead in. Remember, he came out of the Olympic Games already into season running last year. So now I think it's more Hugh McCutcheon's team. I think we're going to see some good stuff. Yeah, where was UCLA in there? UCLA this year is 12th. The end of the year last year, 13th, so gotcha. more or less the same. Mm-hmm. Yeah, going to be an interesting season for Mike Seeley. I talked to him a couple times this year. He said he learned some stuff about coaching a women's team. Of course, Mike Seeley stepped into that team and took it to the national championship the very first year. Correct. So now he has high expectations. Oh, yeah, as do the players, as do the women. Of course. Yeah, going to be a good year. Going to be a good year. We'll have uh, ABC at College Volleyball Weekly. We'll talk about it. We'll recap it, and it will be a whole lot of fun, I am sure. Texas, number one. I don't expect that to change for a little bit. Texas, pretty darn good team. We have our next guest yet? Almost. Almost. All right. Let's um, talk about the women. Let's talk about the next level. We talked about college. Let's go to the next level. Bring it. USA women played in Serbia this past week, and they edged them. Edged Serbia out in five. 25-14. 
23-25, and 15-12. Great match. This is their third match in how many weeks? Are they well, they're on the sixth road? Sixth match. Sixth in how many? Sixth match in a couple weeks. Gotcha. Kelly Murphy, pride of Wilmington, Illinois, mm-hmm. 25 points. Great performance for her. She had six in the fifth alone. So great performance by the left-handed opposite. Starters, uh, Alicia Glass, setting. Gibblemeyer in the middle. Hildebrandt outside. Let's see, how did Hildebrandt do? She went 9 for 20, hit 45%. Mrs. I can Baby Jesus? Mrs. Baby Jesus. <laughs> Harmato in the middle, 15 points. Like to see that. Like to see a lot of points in the middle. Mm-hmm. Gibblemeyer had 7, so that's reasonable distribution. The Murph with 25. And then Kim Hill outside. Pepperdine product with 13 points. Those players started and finished the match. Substitutions. Uh, Courtney Thompson in there. I imagine with the double sub situation. Uh, Nicole Fossett also logging time. Or Julianne. Nicole. I don't know, whatever. Fossett. <laughs> I love that. One of the one of the press releases this past week or somewhere I saw, maybe it was Folly Talk listing like the changes in players. Mm-hmm. It was Fossett for Fossett. Nice. F-A-U-C-E-T-T-E for F-A-W. Do they also list her as a singer-slash-performer-songwriter? Singer-songwriter, exactly. Uh, Giovanna Brakacevic for Serbia. Of course, one of the big opposites in the world. 20 points there. And Mihailovic, also 21 points for the Serbian side. I'm telling you what, they are good, Serbia. I'm glad you're a professional and know how to pronounce these names. I'm working on it Because I would just butcher them. Absolutely, but Nikovic. <laughs> so Serbia, watch out for them. But the United States women have a five and one record, as does Serbia at this point, and they continue to be in action in World Grand Prix for the next six months overseas. For the next, <laughs> yeah, exactly, forever. So they've played a couple of weekends, and let me look up their next weekend before. I want to let you know where they are headed. The United States will play the Czech Republic. They're in Sendai, Japan. They were in Serbia. Now they're in Japan. Uh, pretty cool picture. Not right next to each other. Therese Crawford, I guess, married somebody, a Serbian guy. Okay. Lives in Serbia, hosted the team for dinner at her house. Awesome. Pretty awesome. Very cool. Very cool stuff. Uh, the United States will face off against Japan, obviously in the host country, and then face Bulgaria. That is uh, Pool M, Sendai, Japan, this weekend for the United States. And it looks like that will be it for pool play, and they will be headed to the finals. With a 5-1 record and the upcoming schedule, they'll be in the finals. Cool. What do you have? Got our guest. Right on. Let's bring him in because this guy is one of the people putting his money where we wish it would go <laughs> to the sport of volleyball. The owner and founder of the Cincinnati Sports League. Also event directory or director for Reach Event Marketing, a partner in Hahana Beach in Cincinnati. He's helped to promote the sport of volleyball outside of Southern California. Because he's a good seed, born and raised in Chicago. Knew you'd like that. Chicago. Got to like a Chicago guy. Went to Xavier University. And he has put a lot of work into a lot of things, including the sport of beach volleyball. Has a two-year-old daughter. He's a family man. And he can be found on the bike trails or the sand courts. Or the sand courts. Or the sand courts. Please welcome to the Net Live, Brian Pollard. Brian. Hey guys, hey guys, how are you doing? How are you doing? We're good. Hey Brian, we mentioned a lot of the professional stuff you do, but at the end there, we, you're going to be on the sand course. How's your game? 
Well, well, you know, uh, I think everybody I think comes everybody to a point, comes whether, to a point a whether you're a professional athlete, athlete, or, athlete or, um, a hack um, a hack like myself, where you figure where out that you're better working in the business than you are at playing the sport. I see. I see. Yeah, Jeremy's still struggling with that. I don't know what you're talking about. Yet. <laughs> <laughs> I think Ro- Roche got a little bit of a sneak peek um, last year in Santa Barbara when I was out there for that event. I was out there gimping around on a couple bad wheels and, and trying to, you know, elevate a little bit and play some pickup ball. But, no, I still enjoy it. Obviously, a lot of what I do um, on a daily, weekly, monthly basis is in and around kind of uh, recreational sports. And, obviously, this time of year is uh, a lot around beach volleyball. So I get out there every once in a while this weekend. I was out checking out some of the uh, regional tournaments that were going on at the, you know, the kind of semi-pro regional level with a lot of the players from uh, Ohio, Indiana, Kentucky, um, and beyond um, playing here in Cincinnati. So it was good to catch up with those guys, and they're all excited for uh, the events coming up here uh, towards the end of uh, August, beginning of September here in Cincinnati. I love that you can hear the Chicago accent. I don't, <laughs> people may not be picking up on it, but being from there, I can, I can hear it in Brian. That's always, always a good thing to hear. Uh, Brian, how did you get involved with volleyball? Did you start it as a young man, or is it something you came to later and kind of saw the attraction and wanted to get in on the business side? Um, you know, actually, I I came to volleyball probably relatively late compared to you know most people uh, I've found in the in and around the volleyball community. I growing up in Chicago, Kevin. I think um, you know I was exposed to the AVP events on North Avenue beach, like in the early nineties. Right. Um, and definitely kind of took to them. I, I kind of love the lifestyle, but I was a traditional Midwest, um, basketball, baseball, um, football, you know, through junior high. And then I just wasn't big enough to continue to play football. So I, I played a lot of golf as well, um, through high school. And, um, it wasn't until post-college, actually, after my, uh, it was my third knee surgery as a ro- result of, uh, hoops, um, that, I was looking for stuff to do, and actually um, one of the local high school coaches who was a good friend of mine dragged me out. We played, I think I played a sixes, you know, backyard, slap it around. Um, Really enjoyed it, you know, started playing some quads after a year or so, uh, and then, you know, found myself getting beat on by a lot of the top local guys on the the doubles court, taking a couple to the face here and there, a couple blocks off the dome, and uh, next thing you know, I was kind of hooked, and um, one thing led to another, and, um, you know, I just kind of found myself in a lot of different aspects of the sport of beach volleyball, um, you know, over the last 12 or so years. So, um, yeah, no, it's it, I was late to the game definitely post-college, but, uh, you know, I think I have the passion of, uh, you know, a, a, you know what, you, what you guys probably see in a lot of junior players, a 16-, 17-year-old, you know, that just wants to be around it, wants to excel at it, and I kind of want to excel at the business side of it and help kind of grow the sport here locally. Okay, passion of a 16- or 17-year-old, knees of someone somewhat older. I understand. I, I can identify with this feeling. Uh, yes, Brian, sir. Tell us about the event here in Cincinnati. You guys have a pretty good history in Cincinnati at this point with professional volleyball, whether it is at Hahana Beach or at the Family Tennis Center. Give us a little bit of history of uh, of the sport coming to Cincinnati and the support that it receives in that city. Yeah, um, you know, going back to 2005, um, Bob Slattery with uh, Reach USA, which is kind of a uh, media conglomerate here in, in Cincinnati, um, a lot of advertising vehicles at their disposal. Um, I guess, you know, at the time I was working with the, the Leonard version of the AVP and locked up a sanction to, to have an event here in Cincinnati. And um, as, as 
the story, and Bob will tell you this, you know, just like I'm going to tell it to you. Bob called me up out of the blue, and actually I'd never met Bob, I think, prior to this conversation, but he called me up and said, hey, Brian, I have uh, a beach volleyball sanction. We're going to host a professional beach volleyball tournament, and I know nothing about the sport. And I said, I can help you out. Um, and so that was kind of the, the starting point for our relationship. He asked me to help him promote it from – um, the Cincinnati Sports League side and get word out to our, you know, at the time, 20, 25,000 participants playing, you know, all the sports and build it as kind of a young professional um, lifestyle type of event. And um, we started our relationship from there and it kind of grew into, uh, you know, some integrated marketing on site and some cool promotions here and there that we would run throughout the course of the summer and then tie them into the events, obviously, uh, Labor Day weekend. Um, and so the event was held up at Linder Family Tennis Center in Mason, Ohio, from 2005 until 2009. Uh, in 2010, obviously, we're pretty much everybody's well aware of what happened to the AVP at that point. Um, you know, so Bob and I kind of decided that the players have been really, really good to us. Um, we were in the process of building a, a private facility on the east side of Cincinnati called Hahana Beach. And um, I believe, I think the tour closed up shop somewhere around August 13th of 2010, somewhere around there. We were slated to have the AVP event, uh, Labor Day weekend of 2010. Obviously, that wasn't going to happen. Um, you know, so so Bob really stepped up, and, um, you know, I kind of rolled up the sleeves from the operational side, and we decided we were going to run the event wholly, you know, out of, out of our own resources and assets um, at Hahana Beach and call it something that wasn't the AVP at the time, obviously, but we called it the uh, – the Players' Championship in 2010 had yep. that event, and we partnered with Elevation um, in 2011 and put on the U.S. Open of Beach Volleyball at Hahana. Uh, and then coming out of, obviously, the AVP coming out of bankruptcy last year and then coming off the uh, um, the high of the Olympics in 2012, um, Donald approached us again and said, hey, listen, we'd like to roll the AVP back out in Cincinnati. How do you guys feel about it? So we partnered up with the city and um, – held it at Washington Park, had a really cool vibe and a brand new revitalized um uh park in the in the heart of over the Rhine in Cincinnati and uh went off r- relatively well for the the window that we had to pull it off. We were super excited and um and then this year coming back we decided that the thing that we could do best um to kind of secure the future of volleyball in and around Cincinnati, especially at the at the highest levels um, was to make sure that we could provide as much infrastructure for, A, the event, be our partners, sponsors, and exhibitors, and, um, of course, the players. And there's no better place in Cincinnati. And, you know, I probably put it up against pretty, you know, all facilities across the country, but there's no better place to build, you know, a volleyball tournament than the Linder Family Tennis Center, which sounds really odd, but if you've ever been out there, the place is unbelievable. It's a hundred million dollar facility probably plus um and it's got anything and everything uh a professional athlete from a tennis player to a volleyball player and i i put it up i put it up beyond with major league baseball and, and and nfl in terms of the facilities that they have for the player side there it's absolutely amazing is this a place where you're trucking in sand Yes, it is. We build, um, this year we'll have three courts at Lindner, um, obviously stadium court, which will seat a little over 3,500, um, and then two feature courts on the outside, which uh, all told that equates to just about 900 tons of sand for the three courts. 900 tons. And Brian, yep. you guys, Cincinnati, it was the first 
city that we ever did night sessions at because it was at the tennis center and we had lights and it was very successful. And I hear that that is the plan again this year as well, correct? Yes. Um, with uh, our schedule this year is uh, the main draw will take place Saturday, Sunday, Monday. Um, Saturday will be a split session, day and night, with the night session obviously being under the lights. Um, Sunday, uh, we call it a super session. It'll run uh, approximately 9 a.m. to 6 p.m. Um, and then Monday, we're looking at noon through 8 o'clock because we have live television for the finals um, on CBS as a lead into the quarterfinals of the U.S. Open of Tennis. Brian, how important was it for you guys to hold the events in those intervening years when the World of Beach Volleyball was kind of up in, uh, up in an unknown space? How important was it for you to sustain events in your venue? I think um, w- one of the biggest things we learned was actually in 2009 when um, we've kind of gone through an Olympic cycle um, from 2005, 6, 7, and then 8, and the record crowds that we had up at Linder in 2008, we kind of realized that it, the sport is unique in the standpoint of it runs kind of cyclically um, from a popularity standpoint in the Midwest. And I think Midwest mindset, there's a lot of um, there's a lot of desire to see and be around Olympic athletes and especially medal winners. And coming off double gold in 2008 um, and being the first event on the backside of the Olympics in 2008, we saw massive, massive crowds at the tennis center. The stadium we were in that year held 5,500, and for both finals we were standing room only. Um, to put it in perspective, for those that don't deal with those types of numbers, I think – and I might be off a little bit, but Horse Guards Parade, I think, only sat like 2,800, just about 3,000 for the London Olympics. So right. we had, you know, considerably north of that. And then in 2009, I think our mindset kind of went to, well, you know, if a lot's good, more is better. Um, it's going to keep going up. And that cycle kind of starts over a little bit. And so we've taken that mindset into account this year. But it was also very it played at the front of a lot of our decisions in 2010 and 2011 to keep beach volleyball in Cincinnati because we wanted to make sure that whether it was 2012, 2013, 14, 15, and beyond, you knew that the brand was going to come back. You knew that there was going to be a leader in the market, and we felt that it was going to be important not to have it just go away and then try to bring it back from zero. And so we kept it going. And, yeah, the, the events had a little bit look, different look and feel. But I think from the player standpoint, too, um, I, I think that they earned some credit or we earned some credibility from their end, kind of putting our money where our mouths was and, and still trying to provide really good services and hospitality and accommodations. Um, and then, obviously, you know, good competition and good playing conditions for them. You're listening to Net Live. We're talking to Brian Polark, who is promoting the AVP event in Cincinnati coming up in just a couple of weeks' time. It'll be happening in Cincinnati, August 31st through September 2nd. You can get your tickets now if you go to avp.com slash events slash Cincinnati. You can click on the events buy tickets now button. Uh, Brian, how have you guys been able to monetize these tournaments outside of just ticket sales? Um. A big portion of it is obviously there has to be a coordinated effort um, on any event of providing value on all fronts. Um, 
you know, so the first thing we look at is how do we provide value for for the players, and it, that can come in a lot of different ways, shapes, and forms. Whether it's accommodation services, infrastructure, um, making sure that we have the best of the best um, for the players, and we try to bleed that all the way down to, I guess, the smallest kind of granule of the event. Um, so when we look at monetizing it, whether it be a sponsor, uh, a food vendor, an exhibitor, or just a marketing partner, we're trying to provide above and beyond value from our end to lock them in for future years so that we can start to grow those programs. Um, and that mindset of kind of under-promising and over-delivering here locally has done us wonders in the marketplace in terms of being getting people, brands, companies, services, energized and excited for the event so that they're lining up year after year and kind of coming to the door. So we've created this kind of um, mini marketplace here locally around the sport of beach volleyball that allows us to build programs that generate revenue for us, um, but also in turn generate revenue, business opportunities, or hospitality packages for the businesses that are investing into the event. Very nice. Uh, how strong is beach volleyball and, and volleyball in general in the Cincinnati area? What do you think is the strongest part and where the most growth is happening? So in, in, in and around greater Cincinnati, since we'll call it 2007, there's been an explosion of privatized facilities, um, you know, facility, facilities that are programmed specifically for the sport of beach volleyball. Um, as of last count, within a 35-mile radius roughly of the city center in all directions, there are somewhere around 110 uh, beach volleyball, sand volleyball courts that are programmed on somewhat of a regular basis. That's a lot for a non non shoreline, non coastal type market. Um, and what we're winter. seeing now, yeah, yeah, and we're and it's really only viable. I mean, March is definitely a stretch even here, but uh, April through September, October gets a little dicey, and is, is sometimes a coin flip by the the middle of the year. So you're dealing with you know, roughly six to seven months of, of playable time a year, and, and there's that many in the Cincinnati market. Now, that being said, you look at Indianapolis and Columbus, uh, Dayton, Fort Wayne, there are explosions in all those markets. I think that coupled with um, the amount of club activity at the junior level, um, I think Ohio Valley Region reports somewhere in the, nor in the neighborhood of 23 to 25, 26,000 juniors playing in and around the Ohio Valley Region, uh, as of 2013, which shows that there's obviously demand um, for the game of volleyball, for the sport of beach volleyball, um, and the people that thoroughly enjoy it. There is some aspect to the lifestyle and the, you know, the vibe that these types of places like Hahana, like Grand Sands and Loveland, Sports Express and Mason, these, these, you know, big facilities, six, seven, eight volleyball courts, these places exude a vibe that people want to be there, they want to hang out, they want to play. A lot of their social universe revolves around it. Um, and I think that that's what we've tried to capture inside the actual ABP event as well, is exude that vibe and that lifestyle, get people to hang out, bring their friends, bring their family, check out world-class athletes, but then also check out this really cool lifestyle event as well. Yeah, it seems like you're still heavily selling the lifestyle of beach volleyball there, and it, and it seems to be working. Have you thought about bringing in some of the other aspects that we've seen, perhaps like the Long Beach event where you had all the amateur stuff going on surrounding the professional event or the concert aspect or any other cross-promotional ideas? 
without a doubt um you know one of the the mechanics of you know the event business top to bottom whether it's beach volleyball or any event is, is figuring out what your costs to operate are and then figuring out how you can best take advantage of whatever those costs are when we build volleyball courts um you know obviously we're, the sands purchased the materials to build them are purchased um so it doesn't matter if those courts are built for a day or built for a week or a month or you know the costs are the cost so as we look outward we look at opportunities to expand the runtime of the events and include things that further kind of activate inside the volleyball community in southwest Ohio. So whether that's junior events or a facilities night where the champs from the leagues or the league tournaments or the tournament the past weekend get a chance to play on the same site that professional athletes are playing at, those are what we look at in terms of activating further, building more mass, which in turn would would provide more value to our sponsors, partners, exhibitor, because we're giving a bigger audience to promote their products or to potentially sell to. Um, in 2011, uh, at the U.S. Open at Hahana, that was one of the things that we really did look at. We, Kelly James was kind of part of the Corona Light Wide Open Tour at the time, and he was involved uh, in the Hahana events, and we had him play a live. It was about an hour-long concert in, in between our couple of our night session uh, matches on Saturday night, and it went over like a gangbuster. People were just rocking out in the, the bleachers and had a really cool <laughs> vibe to it. And, um, yeah, no, those are things that we look to. And obviously we have a really good, um, we have a really good kind of uh, footprint or big brother in the marketplace with the Western and Southern tennis open, um, obviously, which is housed at the Linder family tennis center. Um, that happens, it's happening this week through the 18th. And we look at a lot of what they do, um, to help kind of craft some of the directions that we take the event and they have been extremely successful in bringing the lifestyle aspects and, and granted obviously beach volleyball and tennis are two vastly different worlds but um the event side of it they're not that far off um and they need to have things that keep people engaged and entertained throughout the duration of a 10-day tennis event Awesome. Uh, so you have 900 tons of sand for this upcoming event. Does that just get dumped back back on a, on Hahana Beach, and now you're going to have uh, sand as deep as Manhattan Beach eventually over there at Hahana? <laughs> no, um, we actually. So the city of Mason, where the the tennis center is located, um, is one of our big partners of the event, um, and we have kind of contracted with them to build a, you know, for lack of a better term a giant sandbox um, just outside the tennis center where the sand will be hauled to post-event after I get done with my shovel and push broom and uh, <laughs> fill up right. the last truckload and take it out. Uh, but it gets tarped and then reused for future years until we need to either build more courts and add sand or until we can you know, justify saying, hey, listen, Hana does need a whole bunch more sand. Let's, let's bring 900 tons down there. But um, unfortunately, with the weather patterns in and around Cincinnati, trying to get Manhattan or Hermosa deep sand is a, <laughs> yeah. a little bit of a dicey proposition. Well, it sounds a lot like Supercross. They're using the same dirt. Drink. There you go, Jeremy. Uh, I brought drink. it right in. Oh, I'm my sorry, office is just Brian, cracking so bottles sorry. right now. That's, that's all right. Sorry. That's all right. Everybody's well-versed over here. Kevin. Oh, Kevin, you're the worst. Hey, that's an hour and 46 minutes in. That's a pretty yeah. good record. Sorry about that, Brian. Sorry. Hey, Brian, make sure yeah. when you got the sand out there in the sandbox, don't let any cats near it, because I've seen sandboxes just <clears> go to hell. That quickly. would be a litter box, Kevin. Well, yeah, but <laughs> cats don't know the difference, Jeremy. <laughs> Stray animals. <laughs> Not sure what the situation is there in Cincy. Well, hey, 
Brian, uh, give us, our fans one more shot here at the information that they need if they're going to come to Cincinnati and be a part of your great event. Sure. Uh, sure. Whether you're a regional um, or local player that's looking to get involved in the qualifier, um, whether you're looking to get involved um, from a sponsor or exhibitor side, or if you're looking to purchase tickets, you can find all the information online, avp.com backslash events backslash Cincinnati. Um, and you'll basically find everything and anything you need to know about the Cincinnati Open here coming up uh, August 31st through September 2nd at the Linder Family Tennis Center in Mason. Fantastic. Brian, thanks for doing what you do. Best of luck with the event this year. I wish I'd be out there. We will definitely have a report on this show from Jeremy. I will, will be there. He will give us the lowdown on all the fun happening there in Ohio. Appreciate it. Yep. Thanks, guys. Appreciate the time. All, all right, right. Brian. Brian Pollard. Checking in from the AVP, Cincinnati Open. Or what will be? We have uh, somebody you may know in the queue right now. Really? Yeah. Friend of the show. Used to be in the intro of this show. <laughs> Is it Reed Pretty? Uh, let's find out if he's still there. Reed? Hi, guys. Yeah. Hey, buddy. Just head home for practice or what? Uh, I'm en route to an appointment and uh, thought I'd tune in. Great interview there. Uh, I've actually played in that tournament, Cincy, and everything he said about that tennis center was spot on. Yeah, that was one of the coolest. Uh, it, it sort of brought the indoor event center feel to the beach, which I think is a perfect marriage. It's awesome. All, Sounds fun to have a night event. All the players. Well, that's where it started. All the players, um, because you're at a tennis center, like they have the tennis center player facility so they can shower right after the match in private oh, yeah. as opposed to the, the oh, uh, nice. pervert shower outside by the courts and stuff like that and they have their own lounge area it's great for the players and the fans it's a big event um, and that's the tennis center is great you're still there did we lose him I don't know I still hear road noise no. yeah. alright just making yeah. sure hey Ooh. hey hey it's your guys' show I'm just, uh, I'm just a caller who's calling in you know what no truer words have been spoken Reed. good point good point <laughs> Hey, hey, random caller who happens to be on the USA national team. How's practice? Practice is uh, is good. You know what? They uh, installed some high tech camera way up in the rafters, and I'm telling you, if you're a coach listening, it's the coolest, uh, best feedback. It's high def. Uh, it, of course, uh, we've got a. Uh, Anton, our assistant, that's uh, keying in statistically and timing and all that stuff uh, with with the video, so it's all synced up. And literally within minutes after practice, uh, you can watch in high definition on like the best angle possible uh, everything that just went on in practice. And so uh, I have found some new areas that I'm working on that that. You know, the coaching staff is working with us on that brought some new life um, back to uh, to me, and, and it's exciting. So I think the gym's going well. I think we're still working on system stuff and um, and working on playing together, and it's uh, going really well. So I look forward to uh, the next couple weeks because, you know, for a while there, for a couple weeks there, it's a little tough when you're trying to work on – uh, such a critical offense, and um, it's uh, going going well. 
So you guys are prepping for Norseka opportunity to qualify for Grand Champions Cup this year. Seems like Canada would be the focus of this event. I bet they're your biggest competition. I agree with that. I think that they are they have been building slowly and uh I think you're starting to see a pretty solid team. A lot of guys who are playing uh some important roles and some some big teams overseas and getting a lot of experience and their coach is one of those guys. And yeah, Glenn so, Ho, head coach of Canada now. Right. And so it's um yeah, it's a good it's uh they're a good team. They've got a very big opposite who uh can potentially has the talent to be uh a terminator. Uh and certainly when things line up, he does some very impressive things, but I think he's got uh some range issues to work out and it'll be scary when he figures that out because he's still a young young player and so um, they've got a young guy named Gordon Perrin, who is about the height of uh, Jimmy Polster. So he's, he's a big guy, can run a very fast set, and um, and is also uh, a threat. So I mean, definitely you, they've they've put some nice things together. Of course, Freddie Went- Freddie Winters has been around for a long time. Planet Pepperdine actually just saw him last week at the. Uh, Sean and Valerie Rooney wedding, and um, he's a he's a great player as well. So yeah, they they they've been pretty patient. I know they've been working hard to put things together to to get to their max potential, and so they're definitely the number one focus I think in this tournament. Am I to understand that your preparation for Norseka has mostly included going to weddings on the weekends and playing golf? Yeah, it's funny, you know, the, the year after the Olympics, everyone's trying to squeeze their wedding in. It's uh, it's nice, though. It's a nice, constant reunion for for the volleyball community. Well, congratulations to Sean and Valerie Rooney on that. Reed, one more question before we let you go. How about the, the blend between young and old in that gym? It's one thing I continue to wonder is that there's there's this huge youth movement, yet there are still some old guys in there. How is that process continuing to develop? I wouldn't call it a blend of young and old. I would call it pretty young with a few, it's like salt and pepper, a few few veterans in the mix. Um, but it's a young gym, and so it's definitely got its own culture and vibe, and um, uh, I don't see any problems to it. And I think that's it's the right cycle. You know, it's the right time to have. Um, and, of course, John is giving, uh, it's all about, getting guys experience and developing young talent and uh you know i think the closer it gets to a world championship and olympic games they'll be more focused on a specific body of players but uh for now um it's a lot of a lot of drills a lot of grinding it out and um you know i i see it being young in the sense of uh in a lot of senses, in spirit, in work ethic. I mean, it's great. It's a, it's a good environment, and um, I think the more matches and the more opportunities this, this team has to play in, the better it's going to get. Hey, we just had an opportunity to have Riley Salmon here on the show earlier. Not sure if you were listening at that point. You might have been in meetings. Uh, but he was on here addressing the issues he's had with the uh, doping violations. 
And we got off on a subject after that just related to retirement and players trying to change everything about what they've been doing. How much thought have you put into the next step, even though you're not there yet? Uh, it's funny. It's funny you ask that question uh, because it's starting to come up a lot more. And uh, just yesterday, my wife and I were having a talk, and she was sort of saying, "Hey, I've never heard you talk like this before. You know, like what's going on? You've never seemed to uh, be thinking so far ahead, and if this, then that type conversations." But uh, I told her. I don't know. It's it's. I think it's just that natural transition phase. Whereas the husband and a father, it's your responsibility to make sure that you're providing for your family and at least consider um, what's next. And so, on one hand, you know, I'm I'm totally all in on what's happening uh, with my playing career. But at the same time, I definitely uh, seem to be thinking more about what's next. And it seems like there's lots of possibilities and I'm grateful and thankful for that. But uh, it's a fine line of it being exciting possibilities to uh, stress. And so, um, you know, I'm just going to sort of take it as it comes, but it's definitely on the radar. And just being in this industry, let's say, of independent contractor, uh, there's there's nothing really out there that sort of has helped you in this transition phase. Um, USA Volleyball has certainly, with the U.S. partnering with the USOC, has, has put some programs in place, and um, I know some players are starting to do some continuing education, um, things of that nature. But uh, but yeah, it's definitely on your mind, and uh, there's certain guys that have excelled at it. And there's certain guys that haven't. Um, it's, uh, you know, you you would know, Kevin. It's uh, uh, yeah. you know, one day you're a volleyball player, the next day you're not. <laughs> exactly. Literally. That's exactly right. Well, Reed, I know you're moving to, to Vegas. I know you, you've had your house in Vegas for the last few years. And I just want to let you know I'm okay with you joining the Chippendales Review. I have no problems with it. I think it's a great career move for you. Good. Well... Uh, I'll take that into consideration. <laughs> probably make some decent money. I'm not going to lie to you. Yeah, you're going to make some cash. Yeah. It might be all cash. You probably get some side deals, too. Get some appearances on the weekends, elsewhere. Still, get, still get the travel, probably. Yeah. Yeah, tra- yeah, the travel and the people. It'll be fantastic, Reed. <laughs> I-, I wish you the best of luck with that. But uh, one more. All right. Good. All right. <laughs> <laughs> Reader, thanks for checking in, dude. We're going we're gonna to get off the air here shortly, and I'll talk to you soon. Sounds good. See you guys. All right. Reed Pretty checking in on his way back from USA Volleyball Practice. Did you worry for a split second when you heard the sirens in the background that he may not have been hands-free and he was getting pulled over? <laughs> I did not That crossed my it. mind for a half second. Ah, oh, man. Just for a half second. Nervous little guy, aren't you? No, I'm just oh, okay. don't, want, don't want people to be getting tickets. <laughs> Got to be hands-free, everybody. Even be if it's not the law, you should still be hands-free. And we will try and leave you hands-free for the next two weeks. Don't be picking up your iPhone. Don't be uh, – unless you're going to communicate with us. Facebook, Twitter. Yeah, we'll respond to you. We will respond. We will still be around, even though we don't have a show next week. We'll be back in two weeks' time with a show on another Tuesday. That will be the 27th. 
want to make sure we thank Riley Salmon for calling in, and best of luck on that flight to Germany. Brian Polark, mm-hmm. it's going to be a great event in Cincinnati, and Reed Pretty for checking back in with us, and of course the ABCA for sending us that poll as the Women's Division One season gets underway. Be sure and email us if you have topics that you want us to touch on. We do read those emails, even if it doesn't always make the show. Sometimes you might influence us just a little bit, but we have always appreciated the communication you guys have with us, either on the Facebook page, facebook.com slash thenetlive, or email thenetlive at gmail.com. I'm Kevin. He's Jeremy. I don't know. You're on the chat board. You got some music spun up here to get I'm, us I'm, out of here? I'm ready. You're ready. At all times, Kevin. Well, let's get out of here. Okay. Go out and have a great week, people. Have a great couple weeks. Finishing out summer. I'll be camping. I'll be in Cabo. I'll be camping. It'll be awesome. We'll be back with another show. Just a bit. The Net Live. Kevin and Jeremy checking out. See ya. On your radar screen before You're doing what I was doing When I did it a couple magazines ago That means you, LeBron I was doing that Kareem's ago I do Jabbar the coolest star Like years ahead and 15 below How high I am and cold I is The words that I just spoke I did, I hope I did Cause sometimes I forget How much of a goat I is Not a measuring of how dope I did Not an athlete But the black sheep And a strap sheep I poked so hard Last time I blinked I broke my leg That was kind of weird But what you expect When I get no sleep I'm my own words Pretty most times it's split But we see out of how well we Perfect verses, better at letters, get together, graduations and auctions, bad at lying, but I speak that well. Also awesome at talking to dolphins. Sorry, I can be there, but I'm back up in the lab. So just find some bright and pretty to accept on my behalf. Sorry, I can be there, but I'm back up in the lab. Making papers, making paper, front pages and a stash. Making papers, making people, making papers and a stash. Making papers, making people, making papers and a stash. Making papers, making paper, front front pages and a stash. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right, ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchases, over prohibited by law, 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.